Hello and welcome to That's Enough Already, the podcast that discusses everything that shits you to absolute death about other people. Now, if you live in a part of the world where shitting you to death is not a saying, keep listening. It's not as gruesome as it sounds. It doesn't get gross. This week, I'm joined by a good mate of mine, Des Bishop. He's Irish-American or American-Irish. I'm not sure which way he identifies. He moved to Ireland when he was 15 or 16 years old, and he's lived there as a young adult, and he started his comedy career there. He's massive in Ireland. He lives in New York. He just got engaged to an American girl, and they live in New York. So follow him on socials. Uh, what else can I tell you? I'm touring soon. Check out my website. Oh, and don't forget to watch The Masked Singer. Enjoy the party. Shh, that's quite enough. Just stop. Just shut your mouth. I don't give a stuff. Zip it. Shush, please. Uh, 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 yes, I can hear. Calm down, mate. But I don't care. That's enough already. Shut up. Oh, shush. You were 41 minutes late for this podcast. Okay. Because... What were you doing, Desmond? Well, I, first of all, can I say I'm very sorry because I, I yeah. straight up just 100% forgot. And then I didn't have the ringer on on my phone, which is just very embarrassing. Which is weird. I assumed you were dead because you're always on time. I know. It's very unlike me. I, 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 I was actually saying to Hannah right before we got on, like I was feeling terrible. This is, this is not good. But in my defense, the reason why I completely shut off was because the Sophie documentary is on Netflix, which is about a murder in West Cork, which I remember very well. It's very, very, very well documented in Ireland, over documented in terms of the amount that it's, there's two documentaries out now. Plus there was a very successful podcast series on Audible. Uh, other great things to listen to on Audible are Ursula Carlson's book. But uh, it, it, anyway, the Sophie Doc started. And uh, very quickly, it was so familiar to me. It's like Ireland, West Cork. I used to go down there all the time. I was in Ireland at the time of this murder. So hang I just kind of like... Hang on, I got hang a, on. Because that, I've watched that original documentary and I was going to watch a Sophie documentary last night and I didn't. I was I was watching myself on Netflix again. Um, <laughs> you're, that, trying to get those, that, you're trying to get those numbers up, Ers? <laughs> every, every day. This is just a vessel to get another list, uh, watcher. Um, but that Sophie documentary, that is still unsolved and you were in West Cork. What were you doing on the night that Sophie got murdered? Well, you know, coincidentally enough, that was the first Christmas I spent in Ireland. So I was in Cork City. So what, like an hour and an hour and a half drive from from where it took place. However, I, I didn't have a license and I was not in West Cork on that day, but I definitely was in Cork for the first. You were, you were a troubled teenager. And I don't think not having a license would keep you away from driving. Yeah, well, I was 21 and already a year and a half sober by the time this happened. So, so a lot of rage still. <laughs> yeah, most likely at the, at the time of this, I, I was drinking tea and eating chocolate and trying to hide from my emotions. If if oh, if uh, yeah. if 1996 is anything to go by, uh, it was probably something along those lines. This is a scone, figuring out cream on top or jam on top. Listen, it, it, it's not a good documentary. That's the truth. I was transfixed by the familiarity of it, but very yeah. quickly I realized that, and I don't know if you noticed this, there's a problem at the moment because there's such a desire for content. Everything gets stretched out to longer than it should be. Episode, whatever this is, four eps or six eps, I didn't even notice, but they're definitely stretching it out, which is so screwed up because really what they're doing is they're telling a story of a murder, which doesn't need to be told. The, 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 in my opinion, the main motivation for this is content, right? This is a story that doesn't really need to be told. The documentary, in my opinion, and I, I, I'll hold my hands if I'm wrong, it's not going to help solve anything. 
Unless this podcast now suddenly unveiled you as the murderer. No, I don't think it was. You know, Ursula, the world is so dangerous right now with the internet. You, you literally don't know how much pain you could be opening me up to. It just takes like <laughs> four really motivated people online to literally put me in the firing line of yeah. uh, potential murderers, you know, because people get the internet sleuthing happens and the whole thing oh. gets out of hand pretty fast. Yeah. And most clues will fit most people. That's what people don't understand. Like they watch the mass singer and they go, how the fuck did you get Celine Dion for this person? I go, because seven of the 20 clues fits around Celine Dion, but 11 of the 20 clues fit around me. But I know it's not me under the fucking mask, do I? So it's the same with murders. You're like, oh, wait, you were in Cork. You're a dude. This is a young girl that got murdered. You had motive, you know, because you were angry and coming off the back of addiction. And, you know, so most things you go, hang on a minute. Did you ever submit a DNA test? And then all of a sudden, there's Bishop. But, you know, it is fascinating because like you're because I know this story so well, you really notice it more than other documentaries where, okay, they're throwing up they're leaving up potential people for you to follow. Like, is it them? Right. And in a way it's kind of like, to me, it's sort of dodgy. There was a really good one recently that I watched, uh, which was about the son was a documentary filmmaker trying to figure out who murdered his mother. And his father was the main suspect, but he did in the documentary, he explored, I can't remember the documentary, but he explored numerous avenues. And for periods of time, while you're watching this documentary, you're like, Oh my God, it's the aunt. Oh my God. It's the sister, you know, and it's kind of like, is this responsible? You know, like letting these people be suspected for a while. And then you'll get people that will never let it go. They'll just be like, there are people who still have not let go that uh, Madeline McCann's parents killed her. Like there's people that are still holding on to that. It's very difficult with this stuff. You know, so I'm the the murder doc explosion as transfixed as we all are. And I'm as guilty as the next person for getting sucked into it. There's some irresponsible stuff going on with the huge demand for it. Now, it's not about solving it anymore. It's about the entertainment value. It's like we've run out of normal stories. We've run out of our, you know, imaginative brain stems and gone, okay, well, what other stories can we tell? So now we have an actual story. And I I honestly think the whole thing started blowing up, like this documentary entertainment stuff um, with Princess Diana. Once she started doing these interviews and people go, oh, there's a story there. And then they would tell a story, but it's sort of, you know, it's, True, elements of it's true, but they sort of blew it up so hard out for entertainment value. And even the way she died and the way, you know, every fucking thing around that era has just kind of fucking taken off. It's her fault. I know. It's just the content. I mean, it's just such a, there's so many uh, networks and, you know, streaming sites that need stuff that the demand is huge. But I have noticed, and, and I'd be curious if your listeners have an opinion on this, because this is just my opinion, but like, I feel like a lot of the stuff that's coming out over the last couple of years is losing quality because the need for episodic documentaries has meant that they're kind of like stretching out the story and also like exploring avenues for much longer that are not necessary, not necessary, you know, elaborate background stories to the place and stuff like that. You know, they're just like, like a kid who has like, you know, has to write like a, like an essay. 
but they yeah, don't yeah. have enough. So like yeah, yeah. If, if they go, if they go um, write about your holiday and you basically did fuck all but eat ice cream, but you have to write a three thousand word essay and you're like, okay, <laughs> the shoes I was wearing that day, the aroma. <laughs> yeah. Like the no, sun, I don't know. Did you watch this the Son of Sam one? The last, the most, the one, the most read. Yeah, there was, and it was just like a whole, the whole long thing. And I said to Hannah, like halfway through, I said, you know, in the end, this is going to be like a like this whole avenue that they're chasing is going to be like unprovable most likely nonsense but they made like they made like at least four to five episodes chasing down this nonsense i mean so many of them finish without resolution you know also now not just are we craving that so we want more because a we have more time we're traveling less so now you're just sitting on your ring watching the shit instead of staring out of a plane and trying to avoid the cunt in the middle seat then and and now it's COVID time, so they can't film as much as they would normally film. So they they have to they have to fucking make it work for us. And I feel like now would actually be the perfect time if you've got like an old DVD at home that you want to get on Netflix. Now's the time to fucking pitch it to them and go. Do you want to put this shit on on Netflix? Actually, I got a couple of old docs. I really I really should be pitching that stuff. I need to, you I need should, to get mate. Now is the time. I know, but then they'll be like, why is this documentary only one hour? There's enough content in here to get six episodes out of this. <laughs> and then you go, and I will take that. I will take that. You fill that. Not enough run-on sentences in the in the narration here. Yeah, not enough um, for Tourism Ireland, you know, because <laughs> it's like you, you combine half of the fucking murder with a tourism ad. I mean, there's loads of jokes, loads of memes about people finishing Netflix, finishing the internet, all that type of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, there has been a lot of consumption. I finished porn during all these quarantines and lockdown and stuff. I finished all of it. You finished all of porn? All of the porn, yeah. What was your, what was your favorite part? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what was my least favorite part when, um, cause I, cause I've been on the road so much and then just, you know, in lockdown and people sort of go, Oh, we'll send you funny shit to watch. And then someone thought it would be hilarious to send me, um, a hand recorded off their phone, um, bit that you did, um, a phone sex scenario with Hannah on that show that she did. <laughs> and, um, and so I didn't know what it was. I started watching and go, what am I watching? And then I recognize your voice. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to listen to this or see this <laughs> shit. This is like watching this, your sibling fucking go. You're like, even watching your sibling get pashed by someone, you're like, eh, no, God, why are you doing that? Now, the funny thing is that you, you, you that, that for me, I feel like for you, that would just be more like PTSD because you were like my counselor through that whole traumatic episode of Hannah being in the show and me being here completely love struck. Yeah, but that was almost like you found the resolution. You found the, you know, the, you, you solved the puzzle um, at the end of that, you know, her being away and you missing her and the whole thing. And this is you two getting together, but me standing next to you going, yeah, go boy. I like, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to, I don't want to know the resolution. I'm just happy to know you're happy. So uh, for people listening, well, what happened? Well, here's, oh, good. well, go ahead. You intro the thing and then I want to make a point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, Des met a young lady, much younger, much younger. Um, and then she went on to a reality TV show. He missed her. And then he went on to the show um, with her for a little bit. Des, you fill in the rest. Well, you know, I mean, in terms of how, you know, me and you were chatting a lot last summer. Yeah. And uh, so I met Hannah actually July 11th, but 
you know, she was very cautious because she was going into this show and she'd had a bit of a thing with a guy in there before. So, you know, there was like a little bit of caution, but the connection was was quite strong. And certainly for me, as Ursula will remember, I, I really got bit by the love bug, you know? It was embarrassing. Yeah. 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 But, you know, isn't it nice? Isn't it nice to experience yeah. that? You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. that's like a, like a deep deep desire, like a, like a longing that I, that I really hadn't experienced since my adolescence. And, uh, you know, in the end I went in there, but I, I really, I only went in there to see her because it would like shorten the amount of time. Cause I had been waiting and there was other complications due to Corona of why I couldn't see her earlier. There was a chance for me to see her earlier. And then that got canceled. So there was just, it was, it was a very sort of like emotional ride trying to get to see her. When I finally did get in there, I just wanted to see her. Now, it was being filmed for a reality show, which I've never done before. Uh, so obviously everything that we we did was was being filmed. But at the time, I didn't really care about that. I wasn't really in there thinking with my career. I was in there thinking with my penis and uh, with my heart, my heart. So I just want to point something out. Before we carry on, you can ask me any questions. Okay. As love struck as I was, which you literally were with me the whole way. I mean, I literally yeah. called you and you got me your therapist to yeah. deal with the anxiety that I was feeling around I was petrified. My, like, I was petrified for you. <laughs> longing and insecurity about this relationship. I was accused by some of the cast members and then by the internet of just wanting to be with Hannah to get on reality TV. Oh my God, who wants to be on reality TV? <laughs> but, but just now that I have you a witness to the contrary, I just like, when I, when I, when I saw, you know, and I heard one of, the, one of the people in the show saying that I was like, oh my God, if this guy knew the suffering, the emotional torture that I went through, the desire to be on reality TV couldn't have been more the opposite. The only desire I had was to see Hannah. The sacrifice was putting yeah. myself in front of those cameras just to see her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was the downside was the show. It wasn't the highlight. Yeah, there was nothing positive about the show. No. <laughs> No, <laughs> fucking hell. If you weigh up all of the things, even if you weren't in love, you were just in lust, which that wasn't even the case. But even if you were just there for the sex, right, you go, I still don't want to have that on fucking reality TV. I'd rather just have a raunchy weekend. Like not to mention, I didn't even tell, like, I didn't even tell my agent because I didn't want my agent to say no way. You couldn't even tell a lot of your friends because people go, don't fucking do it, mate. <laughs> I know, just wait the extra 10 days. What's 10 yeah. days? Yeah, mate, take a photo and a, and a hot shower. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was funny because you knew, like, if there was one person that knew that it was not my desire to get on that show. And, and the, the other weird thing was some people were like trying to say that I was with Hannah, you know, because of the show. I, I had no idea about that show other than Hannah posted a couple of times on her Instagram that she was on this show called Summer House, but like I was not a Bravo aware guy. In fact, it was only through being with Hannah that I knew that Andy, that I found out that Andy Cohen was the Bravo guy. I just knew Andy Cohen as like this, this gay icon. I didn't even know that he was like the producer of The Real Housewives to be accused of wanting to be on Summer House. It's like, it's like one, it's like accused of wanting to go to a country I've never heard of. I, I want to, I'm going to read you some of our text messages. Oh my God. About Hannah from last year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. Okay. This is how. I want people to know that I had fuck all to do with the show, nothing to do with Hannah being on tally or having. Oh, you're this, reading our texts. Our texts, yours and mine. <laughs> <sighs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> okay, so um, I won't say the one that we did before, the text. Oh, fuck, oh, well, I've never had so much sex in a bathroom in my life, you said. Oh, yeah. I said, oh, my God, ha-ha. And then you said, no one knows me over here, so I don't even care about being on it. It's like a cross between Love Island and the real world. Hannah and I just kiss most of the time, and she frustrates the absolute shit out of me on the tennis court. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, didn't I, even, they didn't even show they didn't even show no but knowing you i knew like what i know what's important to your heart des so um and then you go um she's insanely good at tennis um and a terrible teacher uh and i'm an even worse student and then i i asked the question that i knew would be very important to both of us uh, down the track, you know, because, I mean, I'm going to have to meet this girl at some point when the world opens up and you're going to travel again. And then I said, Des, can she golf, though? And this oh. is <laughs> what you said. She goes, uh, you said, our second day. She birdied the second and eagled the sixth. <laughs> and I, forgot I, that she, I forgot she birdied the second, but she eagled the sixth. I told everybody about that. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's going to propose to this girl. And then you said, because oh, I thought, oh, fuck, you're going to uh, propose to this girl. And then I said, oh, shit. And then you said, I nearly got on one knee right there. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really have the, you have the receipts, as they like to say in the reality TV world. So <laughs> that's pretty fucking good. The, so it's so funny that I messaged you, said we had sex in a lot of beds. So I've never had sex in the bathroom so many times. Yeah, which then they turned into like a thing. You know, they yeah. they they. they, they he spun that into like a drama, which was which was kind of like not how it went down. Because like we just thought it was hilarious to be having sex in, in the bathroom. But anyway, they, they turned it into like as if we were doing it out of spite on somebody else, which we weren't. As you, like, yeah. you know, the last thing I am is a, a like a spiteful guy. But anyway, they did turn that into to more drama than I would have cared for. But I never watched it. So but you got engaged to Hannah now. When's the yep. wedding? Are you guys working on a baby yet? Not working on a baby. Wedding's next May. All right. I better get a suit or something because I assume I'm in the <laughs> wedding party. <laughs> You're my best man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You better let your brothers know. Stand fucking, stand aside, man. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're not doing any of the wedding party. We're not doing any of that stuff. Why? Uh, we're not doing like maid of honor, any of that, you know, just yeah. nice and simple. Just- There's no need. Also, don't spend too much money. People spend too much fucking money on weddings. Nah, we're pretty good. I mean, we're both kind of like, we're both into getting married. We're not really that, we don't care that much about the wedding. Now, we did end up getting a nice, we got a nice venue, but it's all very practical and it'll be fine. It's not too, we're not going too crazy on, on the spending. Just honestly, the only stress is the the invites is stressful. Why? You know, because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of politics that goes with the invites. Mate, um, if, if I don't get invited to this wedding, I'll punch you in your one nut. That you've got left? You know, this is exactly it. It's like, I, I got to hope that like... Oh, I don't even need an invite. I'm just fucking coming. Yeah, if just I hear <laughs> anyone else is going, you know, I'm going to Des's wedding. I'm coming with you. I'm buying a ticket. I'm coming. I don't even care. I'll just crash your wedding. <laughs> no, I'm just telling, I'm just telling Beck that like you're, you and Beck have to go together. Like no fucking Sean, no fucking yeah. partner. That's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. You know? no, I mean, that is economical sense. <laughs> Yo, check this out. Check this out for the coldness of wedding invite politics. Yeah. yeah. So originally Hannah and I had this idea where we would just do like a 60 person wedding and uh, she's going through the invites. I, I can't remember exactly, but it was something along the lines of like 60 people. And she was like, I've got 36 and you've got 24 or something like that. I was like, how the fuck, like who decided that, that you have more? 
And she was like, well, I have my two parents and three grandparents. Oh, yeah. She's got you you just Are you are you are you punishing me for my fucking parents being dead? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, to be fair, she's got a good fucking valid point there. You're you're an orphan. I'm an adult. I got a, 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 our wedding song is a hard knock life. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not suck on my lollipop. That was my brother. Yeah. I'm an adult orphan. Yeah. So I was like, you can't put, but then, but then coincidentally enough, I have uh, 17 cousins, right? Ooh. Or sorry, I have 14 cousins. My two brothers, my grandmother had 17 grandchildren. So Hannah had like invited all her cousins and she was, and 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 I I couldn't invite all my cousins, and she's like, "Well, I only." She was like, "But I only have this many," and I was like, "I don't have any parents. When when do I get fucking paid back?" <laughs> I, <got> <laughs> I, I want to ask you. Um, this this is the this is the main event of the podcast. Um, what is something that shits you to absolute fucking death about other people that you just cannot handle? Mm. Well, you know. This is not the real answer, but the quickest answer that comes to my mind, which is has no depth to it, is that I have misophonia and I can't handle loud chewers. Oh yeah. But that's yes, that's man. not that's not really the question you're asking. The question you're asking is more about behavior, right? No, uh, no, it's literally that. Just like because I can't stand pin clicking, repetitive noise drives me up the fucking wall. But that's misophonia. You know, there's a condition. Oh, no. Yeah, no, yeah. no. Yeah, so uh, l- loud chewing is that. But what's your what's your other one? The overthinking days. I mean, the inauthentic, you know, just inauthentic people, particularly people who sort of like attack other people for, you know, their imperfect transgressions, but never sort of look at their own, you know? You know what? You know what shits me though, particularly in our business, just like because we, we're, we're in a business where it, it's very hard to see the authentic individual. Yeah. I, 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 I hate people who just won't be honest about who they are. You know, they're just so, for for so long in their lives, they're just pretending that they're something else. And you just wish you could just shake them and say, please just fucking be who you really are. You're, you're, it's really more to do with our business and people that try to hide their ambition, pretend they're not ambitious, you know, yeah. pretend that they're not egotistical, pretend that they're not self-centered when there's elements of that in our business, like almost impossible to succeed in our business without those things. They try to pretend that they're above all that when the, the fucking ambition is leaking out of their pores. I yeah. hate that inauthenticity in that I I, I, I I would respect you more if you were just honest about it. Don't try to pretend that you're not. Yeah. Your foot is literally on my neck. Yeah. I know you're climbing me at the moment. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, with those people who are, they blatant climbers and you go, I can see you're a climber. Everyone can see you're a climber. Own it, you know, and just go, look, I'm just here to see what I can get from this situation because I'm, I'm trying to get away and up away from you. But you know, but often, uh, you know, often some of these people that I'm talking about, like they're often extremely talented people, like, and extremely good at what they do. And I, I, like, sometimes I want to tell them it's not a sin to want to be the fucking bad. Like it's not a sin to fucking want to rise to the top. So stop trying to pretend that's not what you're doing. Like it's okay. It's okay. You know, I hate the fakeness of it. You know what, what fucks me off? And it's sort of almost in the same thing. It's like, if you have an opinion on something, or even if you, you know, like, I mean, comedians are fucking smart people. I know a lot of, a lot of 
irritating comedians, a lot of shit comedians, but I don't know any dumb comedians, right? Mm. Like comedians are usually pretty fucking switched on to it. So then when you see something or when you say something online because, you know, you, you know a lot about a topic and then people go, why don't you just stick to your fucking jokes and let, you know, we'll make up our own minds and you go, I'm just going to go see what this fucking person does for a job and then you look at their job and you go, okay, so... I have to stick to my lane and just carry on telling fucking jokes. You're a receptionist at a panel beaters, um, but you get to have an opinion on vaccines or you get to have an opinion on a global pandemic. I don't get to have a fucking opinion, whereas all I do during the day is read shit about this topic. But online, people will go for you and go, why don't you just fucking stick to your, your jokes? Why don't I come to your work and punch you in the cunt? Yeah, but listen, it's it's almost there's a, there's a connection to what I just said to that, which is like, yeah. why don't you just be honest? You're anti-vax. Yeah. Like I hate when people come after you trying to pretend that they're not offended or in complete disagreement with what you said. So they say you're just a comedian. Why do you have an opinion on that? Like, no, be honest. You 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 don't agree with me. At least just come back to me with what you are. I hate when they're like, particularly with the Trump stuff, you know, particularly early on in the pandemic, I was very angry at Trump. I would post some Trump stuff. And then some people would come back with like passive aggressive shit, you know, sometimes personal stuff about me. And it's like, don't try to pretend this is anything other than you're offended by the fact that I don't like Trump. Yeah, but that's that's why I brought it up because it is so linked. It's like- It's people, so annoying. People don't know how to be honest anymore. It's like they think if they just, um, you know, sort of skirt around- the truth that you're going to be offended. I'm more offended that you think I'm fucking dense enough to believe your bullshit than I am about what you're about to say. I can see through your shit. By the way, this is my latest obsession. Uh, and this is not a cancel culture argument because I think I think there needs to be a clear delineation between the very positive aspects of online activism and the very negative aspects of trolldom, toxic fandom, and just other aspects of internet behavior that are problematic. I don't like even using the term cancel culture anymore because it diminishes the good work that can be done by online activism. But at the same time, you know, if to not talk about the problematic side is to completely dismiss what, what, what I'm about to say, which is online activism is good. However, cyberbullying is not and people who think it's their job to hold people accountable, which is the great term that Bo Burnham uses in his song, always fail to acknowledge, take accountability for their own behavior, which is they are cyberbullying, engaging in mob rule. And if you're going to call other people out to be accountable, you have to be open to be accountable for your own behavior because you might be calling somebody out for something that's pretty genuine in that more often than not, though, it's just one mistake that anybody can make. But that aside, you might be holding somebody accountable who should be held accountable, but you also might be engaging in cyberbullying or you might be exaggerating or you might be engaging in mob rule. And that is cyberbullying. Take accountability for that. And then I'll have, I'll, I'll listen to your opinions a bit more. Yeah. Accountability go one way. But that mob rule thing, that fuck man, you know, a lot of times like on my on my social media platform, I have to save people from themselves because they'll come out and say something about me on my fan page where there's fans and then people rip them a new one, you know, they'd pile on and then they go, how do you allow bullying? I'm like, how do I allow bullying? You came on my page and threw shit at my wall. This is my house. My fan page is my house. And you came in and you shat in the foyer and everyone fucking rubbed your nose in your own shit. And yet I'm allowing bullying because I didn't see your comment out of the 9,000 fucking comments. 
I don't sift through every comment. Sometimes if something pops up, I'm like, oh, what's this about? But I don't read everything. Like I'm not, you know, patrolling the schoolyard. But people don't take accountability for that shit. They're like, you allowed bullying. I'm like, no, you allowed it by writing something fucking stupid by shitting in the foyer. And and when you got your, your nose rubbed in it, now you're the victim. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. It's very toxic, you know. And, and, and you know what's so annoying is that it's so unnecessary for everybody. And nobody's yeah. doing anything wrong, especially like diehard fans. Like it's beautiful how passionate they are about a thing, not just you, yeah. about anything, yeah. you know. Fandom is wonderful. You get a lot out of it. The problem is that when it doesn't give you enough and you feel that you need to you know, react in a way that's like bad for you and bad for everybody else. It, it's it's difficult. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's not healthy. The problem is that once you're in that, it's like an argument in a relationship, right? It's like, you know that walking away and just like not talking about this for a half an hour is going to make everything better. But in the heat of the moment, you can't walk away. No, because we all want to be right. Yeah, it's terrible, man. You know, I, I, you know, and, and I'm actually not even critical of the people that engage in it. It's just almost like the, you know, the world evolved too fast. The internet evolved too fast, and there hasn't been enough time for like ethics to work its yeah. way into the system. And I feel like our behavior is mild, miles behind the ethics. Yeah, hundred percent. We don't litter. I mean, people do litter, but like, you know what I mean? Like, just civil society to a certain degree works. It doesn't always work, but I feel like. Civil society works a touch more with the ethics that exist than does exist in the cyber world. I feel like we're much further behind in uh, cyber ethics than we are in the real world. I'm open to be corrected on that, but that's my personal opinion from my general observations. Yeah, totally. All right, now, what is the one thing about you that shits you to death that you wish you could just fucking stop? Oh, I mean, I have. I guess I have like... I don't know if bad temper brings up like like bad images, but I definitely wish that like I could let go of like uh, literally this thing we're just talking about actually in my own life. I just wish <laughs> I didn't care about being right so much. Yeah, but that's a human condition. That's one thing. People say they would die for their children or they would die for their family. No, the one thing we would all die for is to be right. And if you argue the point, then it's like, so you want to be right. Yeah, well, that, that, I, mean, I used to have a joke. Thing. In a marriage, you know, do you have to make a decision? Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? That's yeah. the joke, right? But yeah. in, in all seriousness, though, it's amazing that, that that being right thing is so powerful because people say, <laughs> you die for your children. It's like, well, I don't have kids, but if I look at the history of my life, like actual, you know, like in sports now, analytics is like really big. You know, they, they look at all the data. So yeah. if I actually looked at the data of when I risked death, it would probably be I risked death most over trying to make a point about somebody making a driving mistake in my vicinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, but because they were wrong and you were right and you will fucking show up. <laughs> and they need to know and they need to pay. And now that I could have just driven on, but now that I've caught up to this guy and I've rolled down my window and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him, this is no longer about the mistake and it's about me fucking winning. In this situation, I'm going to win. And yeah. nobody wins. Nobody no. wins. Road rage is a great metaphor for life. It's like you yeah. could just drive on or slow down, depending on which is the better scenario for not engaging with this person. And within two minutes, the adrenaline will have subsided, subsided and you will and never you think about that person again. You'll never think about them again. It won't exist. Do you know what has helped my road rage a lot? Because I, I, like I used to say, I don't suffer from road rage. I fucking love it, right? 
So <laughs> I, I, I go on YouTube and I watch road rage videos and then every single one, every single one where some people shoot each other, they fucking kill. I'm like, he, could, he should have just driven away. He should have, I think that in every single video. And now when I'm driving, that's what I, what I, I think this can escalate so quickly. I'm just going to leave it. Just let him go. Just let him go. Every time, every time I have a mini road rage, which are very few these days because I've gotten a lot better at driving away, which I guess comes with age. But every time there's a road rage incident, I say, this is why you can't have guns in society. Well, you live in America, so you are fucked, brother. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Do you, did you ever happen to look up the science behind why a road rage incident, like in terms of how quick the adrenaline rises, why is it that road rage elicits such strong reactions compared to like what I would consider to be like more distressing situations outside of the car don't seem to elicit the same ramp up in like the speed of the ramp up in a road rage. Is it because of the, is it because of the perils of speed or, or is it the confines of your car? What, what, what is it? Did you ever look that up? No, I haven't. But I have a theory and I think it's because, and my mother used to say this, whenever one of us started learning to drive, my mother would say, don't look at it as a car, look at it as a murder weapon. If you use this in the wrong way, you could kill someone. And I think that's why it's because it's dangerous. It's basically every time you get in your car, you're basically strapping an AK-47 to your back and you're armed and you know it. And you feel powerful for it because I drive a big truck when I'm at home. I drive a BT50, a three-litre diesel truck. So when I'm in that truck, I feel like I'm stronger than anyone else on the road because I'm bigger than them and I'm faster than them and I can fucking accelerate and I can, you know, so... And it is like that. It's like you've got a murder weapon here and, and they've got a murder weapon, but they've got a knife and you've got a fucking AK-47. So it's like you're armed and you're ready to go. You're, you're war ready. And something changes from the minute your ass hits that seat. Something happens between the seat and the steering wheel. It's, it's all operator error from that moment on. I know. That's why it makes me laugh when people are like self-driving cars. You never know what can happen. It's like, I bet you it'll be better than what we fucking do. Yeah, 100%. Like, I think a monkey would do better. You think fucking self-driving Tesla is going to be like, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> yeah. GX, GX7825B76. What the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, saying it for the, for the fucking camera. All right. Um, thank you for being part of the potty. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm sorry I was late. I'm sorry. That's all right. That's enough already. Shut up. Oh, shush.